and we sat there and had like a presentation from a church planner um, who is with the indigenous people of the Dominican Republic off the beaten path. And it was amazing to me. I've sat there and he started to do this presentation, but then he would just like, he would give a little bit of the presentation and then it would just go into like preaching for 20 minutes. And then somebody would ask him a question and then he'd preach for another 20 minutes. And in the span of that, God just clicked in me something about this series. God clicked in me and I was convicted of something. All along in this series, what we've said is, for us, our conquest is we're, we're trying to attain or ascertain, however you want to say it, abundant life. And I said that, that our, our really what we are trying to chase after, I've said this, we're trying to chase after is to be people of uncommon faith and uncommon strength and uncommon courage and uncommon leadership and uncommon legacy. And I was wrong. I was wrong. We are first people who chase after the glory of God. We chase after the glory of God. And one of the benefits of chasing after the glory of God is so that we can become people of uncommon faith and uncommon strength and have courage. It's the testing point of all other virtues. And I believe what C.S. Lewis said when he defined courage as that. And that's how we can have uncommon leadership and an uncommon legacy, what we're gonna see next week. But first, it has to start with the glory of God. If not, we'll seek our own glory. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've sought out my own glory long enough. And I found out that, that I'm not as good as I actually thought I once was. Anybody give testimony to that? Like, that's my story. I'm just not. And yet, in, in the course of life, I think it's interesting, and I think you'll all agree, that we pursue the things that we highly value. In the course of life, and if you're a Christian or a non-Christian this morning, you, you'll get this. You pursue the things that you highly value. For instance, if, if you are a person who wants to go on vacation, you, and it's a good thing to do, you've set aside a certain amount of money over a span of months, weeks, whatever, maybe years for you, to, to save up money to go on a vacation because you highly value this vacation. So because of that, you are, you're pursuing the vacation. You highly value it. You set the money up to go on vacation. Simple enough. This would be the reason why some of you work so hard for those six years in college to get a four-year degree. You pursued it so hard. I'm actually laughing. I'm joking about you right now, actually. But it's the reason why you stuck it out. And you, you pursued it because you valued it. And it didn't happen in the four years that it that, the institution said that it should have, and maybe every, all your friends said that it should have, and your parents, when they stopped paying at the four-year mark, and they said it should have, and yet you know that if you want that education, you pursued it because you valued it. It's no different than our relationships. I remember back when Marla and I were dating, and I had, uh, we just could not wait to be together. It's like all time of day. And if you've ever gone through like the courting stage in your relationship or you're, you're going into that, it's just the way it is. Like you just, you just look at the person and you're like, I just want to be with you. Like five minutes. I mean, literally I would get off work in the middle of the night. Uh, my father-in-law is here. Don't tell him. But she, she literally would kind of meet up with me after that, after I got off work at McDonald's, which was a stellar job when you're 16, 17, and 18. And I would get off work just to spend five minutes together. And then she would go home. And then I would go home, but it was just, we would do anything just to be together just for a moment. I was pursuing her because I valued her. So then I decided that I would show it. And I think it was industrial arts uh, 
Industrial Arts 2 or Advanced Woods class, one of those, I get confused. But, but I made her this, this plaque, and, and it's kind of my nickname growing up and then Marla's nickname um, growing up too. And I made this plaque, and I, I remember that I got off work, and I gave her this plaque, and I was so proud of it. And I, I wanted to show her in a tangible way, wow, I value you, I value our relationship. I went through all this trouble, and I gave her this plaque, and it was amazing. It was so amazing that years later, I would actually take that plaque back from her, and then I would put it on the wall in my office. That's just what I did. And so I showed her that, that I valued her, and I gave her this plaque. And because I wanted her to know, wow, I I'm as much as I can, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I value you. I'm pursuing you. One of the things you have to know about a a relationship with God is you have to pursue him with your whole heart. You have to pursue him with, with your whole mind. You have to pursue him with your whole life. When you pursue God and you pursue the glory of God, what you find is then you can actually have abundant life and not some cheap ripoff of abundant life. That you can be the person of uncommon faith and strength and courage and leadership and legacy because you've decided ahead of time it's not about you anymore. That it's about God, that you pursue him and that you value the relationship with the triune God above all else. In this text in Joshua 3, you're going to see some, I think, four main ideas in this text. And all of them, you're going to see that there's just this requirement that they're pursuing God and God has given them a promise, but they have to pursue God and they have to do some things within their own life to prepare themselves for what God is going to do. So I've kind of whittled it down to this phrase. With the presence of God, this is in your life, With the presence of God in your life and your faithful pursuit of God, that's sanctification, all things are possible by the power of God. So with the presence of God in your life, that's not just the the presence of God in someone else's life or, or you're trying to, you know, you look at someone and you say, wow, they're really on fire for the Lord. I'm not talking about just the presence of God in their life. I'm talking about your life, your personal life. Getting a little personal this morning. This is your life. The presence of God with the presence of God in your life and your faithful pursuit. Sanctification. We're going to see why this is vital to a walk with God in a moment. All things are possible by the power of God. Joshua 3, kind of give you the setting, just in case you missed some of these talks. Joshua 1, specifically Joshua 1, is kind of like a, you kind of get a a little history lesson about who Joshua is and and how he followed under Moses. And then you see kind of the, the, the character requirements and what God is trying to instill in Joshua. And he, he repeats this, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be very strong and courageous because he knew that the days ahead were going to be more difficult than the days he had just left. He knew that. He knew that the days ahead were going to require a deeper walk with God than anything he had experienced prior to that. So God, in that text, he just kind of draws out some things and he challenges Joshua. And then Joshua is, is sent out to challenge the other people. And then you see kind of a pause, actually, in Joshua 2, in the story of Rahab and the spies. And it kind of seems like it's off story, but it's right on story because Rahab is someone who invites the spies and risks her own life to invite spies. And she will become an integral part in the weeks to come and in the chapters to come in this. And now we get in to chapter 3. 
now is, the, is starting to be the fulfillment of the promise. The promises that, that were generations old, and now there's the promise, and it, there comes a testing point with this promise. So we jump into our passage, Joshua 3. We're going to read verse uh, 1 through 13, and then at the end of the talk, we're going to finish up verses 14 through 17. It says this, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittah and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a 1,000 yards or 10 football fields, nine city blocks, in case you're taking notes, between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And then we see some some conversations. I think they're they're great right here in the text. Verse 5, it says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. You'll be able to underline that. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and it went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they will know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Verse 8, tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the, that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Aren't you glad I had to pronounce them and not you? <laughs> See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel one from each tribe, as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So they they go in, in, in a day, they go the distance of about seven miles to the place where they reached at the Jordan, and Shatam is about seven miles. So it's about half a day's walk. You normally, at normal pace for walking, you can just normally go about two miles an hour. So this is a half a day's walk. And now in the text, uh, did you see it? In the text, they have to wait three days. So they're looking, they've received the promise of God and now they're looking at this insurmountable, you're gonna see it's at flood stage in a moment, this insurmountable task and now they're set to look at it for three days. And I'm sure within that group, there were certain people who were like, oh, this is awesome. This is just like what we heard about with Moses and the Red Sea. This is gonna be amazing. I'm sure there were some of those people, but I'm sure there were other people thinking, well, how in the world are we gonna do this? This is like, this is the biggest setback I've ever experienced. I can't even believe that. Why, why couldn't we just go back? Why do we have to do this? And by the way, we're talking about approximately 2 million people. 2 million people. Two million. That's a large sum of people. 
And now they're looking at this, at this water. And by the way, the, the Jordan River is situated in such a way there are tectonic plates underneath it. The ground uh, and everything is, is very unpredictable. And the Jordan River itself has twists and turns that are constantly changing. It's incredibly dangerous because of the, the plates underneath it. And, and even to get there, if you could visualize it, there's, there's a valley where there's like a wooded area. There's kind of like no man's land. It's just kind of barren. And then right before you get down to the river, it's, it's just jungle on both sides. So they had gone this distance. I don't know where they were in, in the, the river with all the massive people, but I'm assuming they're right there, right at the bank, or as many of them could be at the bank, as you're talking a large number of people, and, and just overwhelmed of, wow, what in the world is going to happen here? Some of them viewed it through a lens of faith, and I'm positive some of them viewed it through the lens of doubt. See, in life, we get put in situations to where we, we're looking at our, at our own experience like this, and we just, we think in our limited understanding, in our depleted faith, for some of us, we look at it and we just think that the things that we're going through, maybe the time of fruitlessness that you've endured, maybe a past failure that you've had in your life, maybe just a frustration you're wrestling with, and we kind of, we, we have these things in life and we think they are our greatest setback. But could it be a setup. Verse 2. Verse 2. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, right? So now the, the Ark of the Covenant is going before the people. Notice in the text here, and neither one of verse 1 or verse 2, no one said, hey, I need to elect. I want to know who was the, the captain of the swim team. Because now you're going to give swim lessons for the backstroke. Did you see that in the text? I mean, if I'm wrong, look, you point it out to me, please. I don't think it was there, right? It didn't say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a crash course in rhythm breathing because we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to get through this thing. At least most of us are. Maybe some of us are. We're, is that what it said in the text? Did it say that we're going to do this like Huckleberry Finn style? And be like, hey, we're going to build a raft. We're going to cut down some trees. We're going to lash them together, get a big stick. We're going to cross this thing. Is that what it said in the text? No. They were put in a situation to where it was humanly, humanly impossible for them to break that barrier to get to the promised land. And it was an incredible setup for what God was going to do. It was an incredible setup. But they waited and they're waiting for the Ark of the Covenant. This is the portable throne of the invisible God on earth. That's what this is at this point. This is the portable throne of the invisible God. This would be the, the, the holder of the Ten Commandments. This would be some of the, the sacred teachings. The covenant teachings would be in the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, the jar of manna would be in the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody knew the stories that surrounded all of those things. They, they knew that that was, that was the portable throne of the invisible God on earth in that time. And they were to stay nine city blocks approximately away from it because that was the presence of God. Now, there are some debates on why they couldn't get close. And some people, I believe, who are viewing this through less of a lens of faith, they say, well, no, the reason why they had to stay nine blocks away is because so it would be easily seen by everyone. Really? Two million people? Work that one out. That they're going to be able to see something nine blocks away? I have new glasses. 
I can barely see you. You know, that's a true story. So I believe what it is, it's just reminding them, hey, God is holy. God is holy. His presence, he he just lives in the presence of holiness. He is in his very being holy. And for them to kind of keep their eye and keep a distance away from that. But then we also see something in response to this in verse 4. Look, if you will. It says, if they keep a distance, he says, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Huh. Wow. They're about to do something they've never done. They're about to do something no one has ever done. So in the midst of this of this, this setback, and now they're looking at, at this and like, what are we to do? In God's authoritative word, he says, the only way you're going to know what to do, Christian, the only way you're going to know what to do is if you keep your eyes on Jesus. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to work? What, 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 how many kids am I supposed to have? We, we get so lost in, in all of these questions, I think are not even the point. I think the point is, you keep your eyes on Jesus and he'll take you where you need to go. You'll have as many kids as you want to have. You'll be in the, in the right place at work you need to be. Maybe you just need to stay at work. Maybe you need to quit your work. Maybe you need to get married. Maybe you need to stay single. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all other things will be given unto you. Matthew six thirty three. Seeking first him. A lot of other things will start to make sense. But if you look at circumstances, if you look at the water right in front of you, you're going to be up there with all the other head scratchers and think, what in the world is going on? How am I going to get through this? And God says, you are not going to get through this. He is going to get you through this. Verse 5, two words. I think I ask you to highlight or underline if you write in your Bible. There's nothing wrong with writing in your Bible, take notes in your Bible, whatever it takes. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He says, consecrate yourselves. A New Testament word. We're not Old Testament Christians. We're New Testament Christians. The New Testament word that means the same thing, and in some words it mean the same thing, is the word sanctified or sanctify or sanctification to be set apart. It also can mean holy. Just as the Lord is holy, and he says, be holy as I am holy. So we're to live set apart, consecrated, our lives, even as Christians, living consecrated lives. I'll prove it to you. To be set apart. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says this. It is God's will that you should be, what's the word? It's on the screen, sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. I wonder what God wants for me. He wants you to be sanctified, Christian. And if you're not a Christian, he longs for you to place your, your life and your faith in Jesus. I wonder what I'm supposed to do. He says, be sanctified, be set apart, be light in the darkness. But then you're gonna see also some, way that, some ways that this is played out. It says that you should avoid sexual immorality. Wow, why would it say that? Well, the reason why I believe it would say this in this text, in in a connection that we actually see to Joshua, 
back in Exodus, I believe it was Exodus uh, 19, I believe, Exodus 19, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 19, verse 10 through 15, it says that, that the path, the thing that they were supposed to do, these people, they were supposed to consecrate themselves, and it meant two things. It meant that they literally had to bathe. They need to wash themselves. Apparently, that was an issue. And also, they had to abstain from all sexual activity. Those were the requirements. So when it says consecrate yourselves, it's like, do these things. And yet, we're New Testament Christians. And it says, in this word, First Thessalonians says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you, Christians, should be set apart, that you, Christians, should not look like the rest of the world, that you have to commit even your sexuality, sexual immorality. It, it's a broad word meaning a lot of things. It means you have to commit your sexuality, not just your sexual activity, to God as Christians. We commit that. That means that God... When we commit our sexuality to God, it means that God made us in, in a way. The form and function, the physiology of our body is connected to our gender, which means we cannot redefine it. That's what God has made. And part of this, this wicked web of sexual immorality is, is the redefinition of things. You see this played out in Romans 1, where people are wanting to redefine who they are and, and I just want to say this. If you're not a Christian, you can pick and choose whatever you want to believe out of that. However, if you are a Christian, I hope that word lays heavy on your heart. Maybe some belief that you've had and maybe just the media, maybe just what's going on culturally, you've just started to believe, well, how could it be? Maybe they can redefine. No, God defined when he made them. We all are image bearers of almighty God, whether or not we acknowledge it or not. God decided when he made you what you were going to be. He made you the gender that you have, and he determined ahead of time the sexual activity that you should pursue. Also, and it says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Oh, this, this is far-reaching. You, you may have just thought for a minute, well, that's not my story. That's somebody else's story. Maybe you just wanted to grandstand that. Now, this is you. If you commit your whole body, that means your emotions too. That means who, who you decide to pursue. The, the relationships you decide to pursue. Well, I know they're not a Christian, but he's really cute. Or I know she's not a Christian, but she's hot. Like that is never said. You see, when we commit... Part of the sanctification process it, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way, in a way that is holy and honorable to almighty God that is set apart, that is sanctified, pursuing holiness as he defines holiness, which means those outbursts of anger that you, that not just the, the, not just the emotional side, but when that impacts someone else. When that anger spews out words onto someone else, that means you need to commit that to the Lord too. That needs to be sanctified. You need to repent of that. You need to have a time of confession of that. You need to seek another believer to hold you accountable for that. Even when you, if you're just prone to doubt, maybe you're just a skeptic. That's all part of it that you would control your body by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can control our body. We do not have to be out of control people. You can control your emotions through the power of God. You can. 
You can. But you have to decide that God is the boss of you and ultimately not you. Living in a way that is holy and honorable. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5. If you could flip in your Bible, you're going to go to the right in your New Testament to Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11. I want us to read this together. Hold your place in Joshua. Hopefully it's not too late. This talks specifically about followers of Jesus, specifically about people who have committed their life to God. Not just a one-time decision for salvation, but decided, you know what, I'm all in. I, I, am, I am placing my faith in Jesus, not for this day, but for eternity, for the rest of my life. This is what Paul wrote. Receive this as if, as if he's writing it to you. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord. He says, understand this, Christian, understand this. There was a time in your life where you were blind and all you saw was you. The only only glory that, that even existed in your life was to glorify yourself. He says, Christian, you were blind to the condition of your own heart and your own mind and your own ambitions and your own emotions. He says, remember this time when you were blind. And by the way, we all start there. We all do. So he gives this picture of the past. He says, remember that? You're not that anymore. You're not that anymore. He says, but now you are the light of the Lord. Oh, he says, you're the light of the Lord. Live as children of light for the fruit of the light. I love how clear this is. Consist in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. There's a task. And it says again, and it it just continues this in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. But we dare not expose them in the culture around us if we're not willing to let the light shine within us. We dare not to try and expose them to another believer's life if we're unwilling to have them help expose them in our own lives or we become the judgmental people that everybody says that we are, and unfortunately, oftentimes, we are. So we're not asking somebody else to be sanctified. It's stepping up to the plate and saying, you know what? I commit everything to you, Jesus. I want my whole life to be set apart for your glory and for your your fame and your renown. I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm not going to be narcissistic. I'm not going to seek my own glory. I've had enough of that. I remember the, the person, I remember when I was in darkness that I, when I couldn't see, but now I am, I am of the light of the Lord. That means I am in a place of influence. That means I am at work, a place where there, there is darkness and they should be able to look at me and say, that is someone different. And they should see Jesus in you. The way that we do it is by the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life when you fully commit yourself and say, you know what? I'm not living for my glory anymore. I don't care what goes on at work. I don't care if it seems like this, just this huge, this, this 
this setback that you think it is, the frustration at work. Like I'm so, I'm so over being at work. I just, I, I need a new job. And God says, no, 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 no. The reason why you don't like being there is because there's darkness there. And that's why he sent you because you are the light. Some of you, you're just looking to run out of your relationship right now because things are getting hard. And he says, no, 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 no. You are in the light. You are the light of the Lord. You need to be a light in that relationship. Even if your spouse is not the light, you need to continue to be the light, not for their glory or your glory, but for God's glory. Living is set apart people by the power of God. Set loose in our lives. We are not darkness any longer. We are not darkness any longer. Joshua 3, verse 14 through 17. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, and that's this time. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. That's what we call a miracle. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at the town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephthan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabath, the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea is what it's called today, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completing the crossing on dry ground. The setback at the flooded Jordan was only a setup for what God was going to do. Perhaps the same, is, the same is true of your life. What you think is your greatest setback, the, the thing that's just the burr under your saddle, the frustration that you have. Maybe it's the thing that, that has, you've allowed to define you, a failure in your life, something that, that you've done and maybe you regret. And now it's just a, just a resentment and bitterness hovering around that. Maybe there's been times in your life where you just had, you've just been fruitless. Your life, even you've, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've lived decades, months, years for you. And maybe, maybe all of that, all of that, what you thought was a setback your whole life and you thought it defined your future and you thought it defined your relationship and you thought it defined everything about you, maybe all of that that you thought was a setback to get you to this moment so then God could do an incredible set up for something better. That's how God works. God sets our hearts free when they're fully committed to him. But we have to. We must, we're commanded to be sanctified, chase holiness, consecrate ourselves, commit every part of our being to the glory of his name and for his fame and his renown. Now, some of you, and I would say I'm not here I'm not in this moment right now. This is not something I'm currently struggling with, but I understand it could be tomorrow. We all have things in our life that, that, that we think are huge obstacles. We think it's the Jordan River in our life. 
And, and we, we, we get up to, to the bank of it and we view it in disbelief and we say, how in the world are we going to do this? My hope is that when you look at texts like this, you say, you know what? God does the impossible. So that, that frustration, that resentment, that anger, that fear, that pride, that selfishness, all of those things, all of those frustrations that you just can't seem to get out from under, maybe this, into this moment, it was just a set up for what is, God is going to do, but you have to leave those things at the foot of the cross. You have to. Maybe you just have to choose today, just choose today. Sure, I failed. We've all failed. But that doesn't make you a failure. Maybe for you, this, all of those things is just a, a setup for what God's going to do, that you stop believing the lie about a false identity that Satan is trying to get you to believe. And for years, you have. And you have. And that's the reason why you don't have friends, if I'm blunt. That's the reason why no one's close to you. That's the reason why you would never even think about getting in a community group. Like, why in the world would I get in a community group? People would find out about the real me. But I just want to give you just a little news flash. I'm going to turn the light on real quick, okay? That's exactly what God wants. He wants you to be found out because then you can be free. But if you don't have somebody like me in a situation like this telling you the truth, you'll continue to live for you. And don't we know that just doesn't work? Maybe for you, you've just been fruitless. You've just kind of been hanging out. And it's really easy to hang out in church. You've just been hanging out. You're not really doing much. I mean, you amen when you need to amen. You sing when you need to sing. You know, you sit when you need to sit. You clap somewhat on time. Um, we don't do that real well here, but we try, right? But you would say about yourself, say, you know what? I've just gone through periods of just fruitlessness. Like I just haven't, I haven't done it. I've known what I was supposed to do. God has shown me what I was supposed to do. I've just never done it. Today could be your day when you realize that your life isn't to be spent on you because God wants better for you than what you can provide you. Because when we chase after God's glory, God's majesty, God's holiness, he is glorified. Our lives are magnified. He is glorified and our lives are magnified. And people look at us and say, whoa, I don't know what it is about them. There's just something different. And then we back up our actions with words and say, you know what? I was once in darkness, but now I'm in the light. And let all of us believe this with the presence of God in your faithful pursuit. All things are possible by the power of God. So it comes down to this. It comes down to this. ask you some questions. It's going to be kind of personal. Please don't answer out loud. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have made the conscious choice to place your 
faith in Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a time, I'm not talking about attending a church and Bible school and when my grandmama went to this church and she drugged me to this church for years. Okay, I've heard all those stories and, and those aren't salvation. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about how you made a personal choice to say, uh, you may not even know the, the events surrounding it. You may not even know the day or, and all that. That's fine. But you would say, you know what? Uh, has there ever been that moment where you've said, I know that I gave my life to Jesus. See, I believe there's, there's people in here right now who've never done that. And, and you, you want everything that I, just, that I just preached to. You want all of that, but all of that is gonna be void because you cannot have the power of God in your life unless you've committed your life to Jesus Christ. You will not. You cannot and will not have the favor of God in your life if you provide safe harbor for sin. Won't happen. Can't happen. It's not the way God works. Has there been a time where you've committed your life to Jesus? If you have never, ever, ever committed your life to Jesus and you say, you know what? I, I, I've wanted to. I know I've needed to. I just, I just never have. If you want to do that today, after I pray, I want you to meet me at the double doors. Had a great opportunity to pray with someone at the end of the first service. But if you've never placed your, your faith in Christ, I want, you, I want you to meet me or my wife at the door. And I would just love to have a conversation, a private conversation about that. Maybe for you, you just need to just commit. And I would just pass this on to you. You just need to commit. And maybe there's been a time of, of as, you, as a Christian, that you've had a time of fruitlessness. Uh, maybe you've, been, you've let this failure define you, or maybe you just have this growing frustration that you haven't dealt with. Here's what I want you to do. Let your, let your first act of repentance be a confession to God, and your second act be a confession to someone else. So maybe it's a family member you came with, Maybe it's uh, a community group that you're already involved with. But let that be your next two steps of repentance so that we don't have to let failure define us. We don't have to live with all these frustrations. We can say no to fruitlessness so that we can glorify God and we can allow him to magnify our lives. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. We glorify you. We lift high your name, the name that is above every other name. Lord, we know that every single person in here is accountable for what we do in this life. And there will be a day where each and every one of us stand before God to be judged. Some to be judged by the righteousness and the justification that comes through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And there will be others who will be standing there on a merit of self-worship. And they will spend eternity away from you. 
Father, I know this word is heavy, but you've promised that your burden is light. I pray people take the next step. Not to just have abundant life, but to glorify you and to live magnified through your power, through your majesty, and your grace. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.